You are now listening to Out of the Blank. Welcome to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. I'm here with KC Gonzalez. Yo, yo, what up, man? KC, tell everybody here a little bit about yourself and what you do professionally. Okay, so I am a, uh, actually professionally, I am a chef. Uh, I've been at it for 18 years now. And I do a whole bunch of other things in between it, like music, and, and video in the pod and stuff. But for the time being, I am a chef. And I, I like to call myself a hack of all trades. So <laughs> something of that. Well, it's so how did you decide to get into the cooking career, first of all? Well, I, I've always liked cooking uh, ever since I was young. And I, I attest that to, to my grandmother because she put me to cook uh, at a really young age. And growing up, I was like, you know what? I think I really want to do this professionally. So I, I went ahead and uh, I just started cooking. But I didn't go to school like most people would uh, here in the States. So when I, uh, when I finally came over from the Philippines uh, after college, I, I felt like I was wasting time during college because I'm like, I, I, I'm, I don't want to do anything else besides cooking. What, what am I wasting my time here? Um, so I just, I, I did two years. I went back home. Uh, I went to the the local restaurant, or one. Of, I think my first restaurant was an Italian restaurant. I was like, "Hey, do you guys need help?" Uh, they're like, "Yeah, we need somebody for dishwasher." And then from then, dishwasher it was worked my way up. Was pretty common with a lot of people that work in like the uh, least culinary field. It seems like they start off doing like the smallest jobs, such as being a busser or a dishwasher, and then working their way up to chef. Oh yeah. Um, a lot of people think you have to go to culinary school. That's not always true. Actually, I've met some really good chefs that haven't been to culinary school at all. They just have this natural talent and understanding of food. Mm -hmm. um, I've talked to people that really take it to a Gordon Ramsay extent where they do get upset at others for the way they, you know, choose to make their food only on the concept yeah. of it seems like nobody really cares too much about when it comes to sanitation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's hard because like, you know, from being from Ocean City, I'm here in a small town with a bunch of local businesses that kind of popularize the seafood effect. I mean, that's kind of what this area is known for. And you're hearing all the time about restaurants, not wiping down tables, not doing something correctly, just because they become lazy. And that's when it starts yeah. getting really bad because people start getting sick. Yeah. Sanitation is, is paramount to what we do at the restaurant. And it's it's not that you because here's the here's my issue with it right the most vocal person on television is what you see and what you kind of relate to is which is you know chef ramsey he's oh he's out there he has like bajillion shows and you see him all the time and it's his standard to keep it um to where he wants that's why he's all anal about it and i get it i get it absolutely um, but the second part of it is where he starts to, you know, berate people and yell. Yes, there's a time and place for that. But I personally don't do that uh, to my staff. There, there's no need to talk down to somebody uh, doing such. But 
And here's here's where the big butt is, where I kind of kind of draw the line. He's selling dishes at a hundred, two hundred dollars a plate. I'm selling dishes uh, thirty to forty dollars a plate. You know, so there's there's definitely a a big a big gap on um, the expense. And I mean, I, I'd be pissed off too. If somebody messes up my my two hundred dollars steak uh, if it's over or under. Uh, compared to, you know, a, a $20 piece of chicken. So well, there's so much ever mounting pressure on top of people that work in an industry like that, that deals with the public, whether it's movies, whether it's music, whether it's food, and there's literally, they're putting their faith in you to make sure that they have a good time. So they're relying all on you. So you also have, I mean, kind of unobtainable standards when it comes to mm. trying to make sure you get every individual the perfect meal basically you know not a lot of people write a good review on a restaurant unless that's their job more people are going to write a bad one just to shit all over it if they had a bad time oh yeah i've talked to him like my cousin who's a server and he goes and says technology sucks i'm like why he's like i swear every time i'm trying to strike up a conversation to get tips I can't because they're so disconnected and paying attention to their phone the whole time. And this is something I've experienced going to restaurants and seeing, just looking around and seeing everybody on their phone, not even conversating anymore. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's such a, it, cause it's a different, it's a different feel nowadays. And uh, I don't know. It, when I was growing up, there was no such thing as, you know, you're talking in your phone, just having a good time. Uh, us having a good time was bantering and having just, you know, just talking. That that was like the thing when you're at a dinner table. Now people are just looking down their phones, taking pictures, whatever. It's like, oh, check this out. It's like, that's the common, that's the norm. So we kind of need to adapt to it. But at the same time, there should be processes where uh, it shouldn't be that way because there were other things to do back then <laughs> than to be on your phone. Well, when you went out to a restaurant and you had to go experience something, like I did that as a kid with my grandparents. We went to TGI fucking Fridays. Hey, man. Let me tell you, the bacon biscuit things they had, bro. Oh, wow. That would change your life forever. So yeah. these were moments that we were creating. Like we would sit down and talk. We would find out what was going on in each other's day. It stopped mm-hmm. happening. Nowadays, families, like when they go out, it doesn't matter. You're spending 50 or $60 on a dinner, okay? That means you're gonna. You should be conversating. You shouldn't just be sitting there on your phone the whole time. I yeah. always found it strange that if I went to a restaurant and saw someone sitting alone, they had a book and they were reading the whole time, but mm. they still engaged in conversation with the waiter, the waitress, the waiter or waitress sat down usually and talked to them. You know, it might be coming from getting more of tips and everything, but it was a sense of connectivity that we're losing. We're becoming very desocialized in a way, which kind of scares me because now people seem like, like you, like a waiter comes up to you and you're on your phone and you're just ignoring them. You have a bad experience with that waiter in that brief little moment you met him. He goes, okay, I'll be right back. I'm going to go get your food. They walk away Mm. immediately shitting on them on Instagram, Snapchat, whatever social media device you're on. Yeah. It's like you and didn't even get the chance to know that person at all. And that that is such a common tale. You you, you can preach it all day. That is what it is right now. And it, it is it's tough. It, it's it's super tough. What do you find are kind of some of the complications of dealing with the cooking industry a little bit? 
most of it, it's really not that complicated. But the, the main thing that people will get uh, not really wrong or they don't really have an insight to is the ever-changing amount of processes and details. Because, okay, did you know that, um, have you ever heard of the HACCP program? I have not. Okay, that's just a, a fancy term for hazard analysis uh, associated protocol. But anyway, it's a um, it's it's a, not a website, but it's it's a standard, uh, not the FDA standard, it's but a in the, it's a guideline in the kitchen that uh, changes every year um, to keep up with different uh, codes, board of health issues, etc. For every state every borough, et cetera, no matter where you are. And as people in the industry, um, especially the managers, uh, we typically take this and renew it every three years. But there are, um, there are new things that happen and gets changed every year. So if you're not up to date with all that stuff, especially when the, uh, the food inspector, the state comes in, um, yeah, you will get that bad grade. You will get the, uh, uh, why haven't you been on this, uh, the newest step on how to clean veggies or some shit, or like, what, why are you still using this chemical to, uh, to clean silverware? Like we, we out that like two months ago. Yeah. We found so, health risks and chemicals. Exactly. So you have to be, you have to be on the button on that every day, every week, make sure your staff is trained every day, every week. And that's where a lot of uh, mom and pop shops, and I hate saying mom and pop shops, but they don't necessarily keep up with it. And that's where you're going to find all those struggles kind of. Yeah. I've talked to people that are in small businesses and I ask them like, well, why don't you ever work on expanding and getting more of your good food out there? And they said it would lose the quality and the family aspect that they hold so near and dear. Nowadays, Absolutely. you're comfortable with just getting McDonald's, which really makes me laugh when I consider how someone looks at a restaurant that has like a degrading in health or whatever. And they're mm. like, oh, well, I'll just get a McDonald's burger. I'm like, that's not any fucking better. That's not no, any not. better. It's like that. that honestly, matter. that food doesn't even have taste to it, really. You're not sitting there buying McDonald's and enjoying the burger. No, you eat it. You just shove it in your face. And honestly, if you have ever had fast food, it used to be different back in the day. Like if you go to Arby's and you have something from there, then you go over to, let's say, uh, somewhere more kind of popular like McDonald's, the, it's come two completely different tastes. It's Definitely. McDonald's, the taste lasts a quick second. Like it was like, I feel like they're painting literally logs of shit and just feeding it to you. Well, it's, it's fast food. And that's what it is. It's made to be consumed in a fast pace. It's made for uh, convenience. So yes, there is a little bit of taste there, but it's just trash. That's what you're putting into your body. You know, like I, I mentioned to you earlier, uh, I went to a road trip. So my wife and I uh, took a road trip here all the way from New Jersey, uh, took a car rental and drove it all the way out to Portland. And during our trip, never once did we stop at a fast food chain. We all went to actual, you know, restaurants and had a good time. And that was like our main thing about it. We're gonna go have out. We're gonna go out and have an experience, and let me tell you something. It's one of the best things I've ever done, and one, some of the best foods I've ever had uh, during the way. So now I'm like, now I'm pissed because I've had some of the best of the best in the country going out that way, and now every other food that I've eaten 
will not be up to par. So, yeah, don't if you just do yourself your favor. Just don't don't even do fast food. And I I, I haven't had fast food in like maybe eight years now. Yeah, I haven't had it in like probably seven or so. Yeah, I, I, I don't I don't yeah. even mess with it. I got into the fitness realm, but when I when I was first working out, I was sweating basically all the nasty stuff I was consuming in my body. Like this is like high school, so I was eating bags of Doritos, Mountain Dew, and then I started running on the treadmill, and I was sweating nothing but spicy nacho Doritos. And <laughs> I swear to God, I I haven't eaten a Dorito in seven years. I can't. I yeah. can't even, it hurts my stomach to even look at it. And this is when we talk about interpretations with food. First impressions are fucking everything when it comes to food. If you have oh, yeah. something and it does not taste good the first time, I guarantee you, you're not picking it up again. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That have, is... you, have you ever had any weird or exotic food that you would consider? Oh, yeah. All the time. I So being, uh, I'm Filipino in my background. Um, and I wasn't born and raised here. I was actually born and raised in the Philippines. So when I came over when I was 12, I've eaten weird shit that, is pretty normal to what our cuisine is, but to over here, they're like, oh my God, you've had that? And it's weird. So just to kind of go about it, I've had snake, I've had um, rat, I've had some cat, uh, dog, because those are like different livestock in the Philippines, you know? It's not over here where cows are plenty or uh, or pig is a plenty. Um, yeah, you back hear- in my country... People that are like from me, they immediately hear dog and cat and they go, what? You've eaten dog and cat? I mean, does that, yeah. does that taste any good? I mean. It tastes, it tastes just like what your normal would taste like. So for you, like probably chicken is like the most normal thing, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or pork or beef or something. It's, it's just the same thing. You're just in a different country. So our livestock um, is, is just a little different and, to us, that's normal, but um, we don't. It, it's it's been a long time since, and we don't eat those as much anymore. Um, but now, since you know, everyone kind of economy is uh, uh, a lot better. Uh, there's more of the pork. So for for us, we are a pork nation, and um, and a lot of fish. So fish and pork is predominant in the Philippines. Uh, beef, not so much. It's hard to get, and it's expensive. You're making me want to see what a shih tzu tastes like. I honestly, this might be a question, <laughs> but I wonder if the type of dog, like the breed, probably changes mm-hmm. the taste. Maybe. Like maybe I don't know. Or taste a little bit different than like a shih tzu. Yeah, maybe. the The only thing I can remember is it wasn't. It wasn't like you just take like a random dog. It was actual like in a farm the ones that we ate. And if I can remember, I wasn't, I think it was just German shepherds that they raised. I'm not, I'm not hundred percent. It's been so long. Oh, you got that top of the know. line dog. No, but it's like, that's normal. You know what I mean? Like that's, that was that's like the standard. If that's the standard, that's a high class standard. You don't, you're not getting, you know, no bullshit. You're getting a German shepherd. This is a German shepherd steak. Yeah. That's, but well, it, see, I chalk up the example to the whole factor of a lot of people when they hear you, you, you consume dog, you consume cat, like how horrible. I'm like, do you even know why we chose cows and pigs for farm animals? No. You know why? It's because they don't have any fucking eyebrows. 
Yeah. They have no facial expression whatsoever, so it was easy for us to kill them. Most yeah. of the people out here in America don't realize it, but they probably have consumed dog, cat, roach, anything of that sort. Oh, yeah, they probably have. There's been like – there was a horse meat scandal when it came to Hot Pockets, all right? There mm. was 500 million cases that were contaminated with horse meat. So there's yeah. a bunch of people out there that consumed a Hot Pocket and freaking ate horse. So Yeah, and they had no they had no idea about it either. And they're like, oh, yeah, this is so good. And you'd still and, consume it because we're not paying yeah. attention to our senses anymore. Mm, absolutely. So for, for us, that was normal. But, you know, look from the outside looking in, you're like, oh, my God, that's gross. Because that's that's not what your normal is. And that's, I think that's where you're kind of touching um, base upon, you know, being American. We don't, over here in the States at least, we don't particularly eat those kind of foods. Uh, so when you see other countries do it, you're like, ah, I don't know about that. But to that country, if they're looking at, here in the U.S., they're like, uh, you guys are weird. So it's like the same thing, kind of. I feel like a lot of people just don't understand because we're just so completely oblivious to the concept mm. of what's going on around us. Like someone tells you what to do, you just 100% follow by it. Even if you don't agree with it, you just do it. You know, yeah. a lot of people, when you look at the restaurant industry, especially when you consider the FDA, Nobody, everyone thinks like, oh, the FDA, they just put like, they go to places, they check the sanitation. I'm like, they do a hell of a lot more than that. And they're pretty fucking good at what they do too. Yeah. They make sure like, um, you know, recently we had the salmonella poisoning with lettuce and mm-hmm. salmonella poisoning with honey smacks. Mm-hmm. I bought a hundred box of honey smacks two days before that salmonella poisoning outbreak and they took it off. Oh, the shit. Shelves. Yeah. I got sick from that cereal, but it was more like I paid $5 for a box of Honey Smacks. If I'm going to die by anything, it's going to be by this Honey Smacks. So I kept (laughs) eating it, even though I knew it was making me sick. But it it just goes to show like how some people can be so ignorant to really look Mm. at the the true problem. I mean, when everything comes down to how you feel, how your body works, everything that goes on the mental processes, hormonal changes, it all is linked to nutrition. Yeah. So if you're feeling Definitely. your body shit all day, you're going to feel like shit all day. You know, that's why people choose to live a healthy and clean lifestyle because they like the effects they get from that. And Absolutely. One of the hardest things for me to understand was when I had to take my buddy out to a restaurant because he's vegan. Mm. And that's like an extra 40 minutes onto just ordering, mostly because yeah. he knows what he wants to get. He knows what he has to get, but he has to ask questions on it. And I tell him, I'm like, how do you know they're not just fucking doing the complete opposite? And he goes, you have to put your faith in people. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I I said, I understand that. But like you're sitting there saying you can't have your salad prepared near any type of meat. Like what happens if some dude was just, okay, whatever, and then grabbed a steak, threw it on top of your salad, then took it right back off. Then it was contaminated with the food. He goes, yeah, well, hopefully they don't do that. And I'm like, yeah, that would be so hard to try and live vegan, putting your faith in others, knowing that a lot of people in the world are pretty crooked about the way they do things. Oh, yeah. And that's commonplace. And here's where I, I say it again, the mom and pop shops versus the corporate. So we, at least for the restaurant that I work for, we are corporate. And whenever somebody says, uh, uh, an allergy or a uh, preference to something like a vegan or vegetarian or whatever, we will try our utmost best. And I mean our utmost best uh, to do uh, said, 
you know, uh, allergies. So for example, somebody said, Hey, we're allergic to fish. I'm a fish restaurant. I get it. It's stupid. Why would you go to my restaurant if you're allergic to fish? We get it all the time. But uh, let's say they want like, I don't know, like a fucking salad or some shit. And there's literally fish everywhere. So we will take it to the back of the prep area, uh, get new utensils, et cetera. Like the whole thing, just to make sure. Yeah, it's going to take a little longer, but we're going to try to absolutely make sure you don't get anything contaminated on your food because we don't want you to die. But at the same time, we would mention, it's like, hey, look, listen, I understand uh, and we appreciate your business, but you are allergic to fish. Don't come to the restaurant. You know, like don't put yourself in that risk just to have some food that we have, but you're allergic to some or most of the items in my restaurant. Uh, don't do that. Like that's, that's silly. Yeah, it's it's weird because a lot of people don't understand. Like they think of the restaurant industry as the movie still waiting. Okay, mm. I don't know if you ever seen that movie, but like, I've not, but I've heard of it. One customer complains. She's kind of like a bitch customer, and the waitress goes, "Okay, okay, I'm so sorry, ma'am." He goes, "Yeah, can you actually cook this properly?" And we all know, oh. we all, yeah, we all know that. And you know what you want to say after that. Well, the waitress goes in the back, what a bitch. I want you to fuck with her food hard. <laughs> All right, man. How about a little bit of ass cheese? And he grabs her steak and rubs, or her garlic bread and rubs it on his ass. And then nice. back on the plate. And each chef is literally going down the line and fucking with her food. He goes, oh, you want a little bit of uh, sea salt for your steak? And he grabs his head and starts scratching it and dandruff starts landing on top of the steak. And I'm like, wow. And then you get to see this woman, like they give it back to her and she goes, thank you. And then I'll start <laughs> eating it. And I'm just like, this is where you put your faith in people hoping that they won't mess with your food. Because honestly, I heard, I've heard cases about it in my town. Somebody was messing with someone's food. They would drop it on the ground. There was video. Oh, yeah. But a lot of people don't understand. That's a serious crime. Yeah, man. And like at the same time, like you don't want to fuck with staff. Like I get it. Don't be don't be pompous. Don't be somebody that you're not. You know, don't don't do that in a restaurant because people are people. And I get it. You know, sometimes my staff would do something stupid of the same nature. And I'm like, really, guys, like that's yeah, let's let's just restart it. Okay, like I understand we're all mad at it, but let's you know, let's not jeopardize their health just because, you know, we're pissed at it or they're piece of shits. So let's just, let's just do it over, you know? And that's where the, the line kind of starts. How much of a problem is it for you to make sure that your staff is actually cooking the food properly? Like, it seems like they have an unreasonable, like, um, let's talk about like a, a busy, a busy night or something. Mm. You've got a bunch of orders coming up and you're falling behind. It's very, very simple. Instead of keeping something in the oven for this long or keeping something on the stove for this long, you cut it by maybe five or 10 minutes. Next thing you know, the, the customer gets it and then they get food poisoning from it because it wasn't cooked properly. I've gone to a restaurant and I've eaten fish before where it wasn't cooked all the way. And I've seriously gotten really, really physically ill from it to the point where I never went back to that restaurant. Mm -hmm. So here's here's where the standard is, right? So at least for the restaurant that I work for, uh, food and safety is number one. Uh, and number two, food and safety for my staff is number two, meaning uh, are they using their utensils correct? Are they cleaning it? Are they washing their boards? Are they sanitizing their plates? Are they wiping shit? It, it's so anal, and I kid you not, it's, it's monotonous, and they know it. It's like, hey, did you wash your hands? Hey, wipe your board. Hey, make sure that the, uh, the plate is clean. If it not, just put it in a dish. Like if that's, 
over and over before any of the food gets cooked. That's what we have to focus more on first before we plate it. And once we do cook it, and then the proper the proper temperature. But and here's where I, I was uh, mentioning to you where it kind of draws a line: the type of fish and the grade of fish is where it's going to separate you. So it's sad to say your your mom and pop shop probably didn't have the freshest of fish. I kid you not, because like it's when we're when we're paying sixty to seventy dollars per like steak of tuna in my restaurant. I'm making sure that I source that with the best possible uh, vendors. And we're making sure that that is the utmost quality that you're paying for because that's what you're paying for. Yeah, you don't want to buy and some fish from a absolutely. in a yeah. cart in the back alley. Yeah, so in that, in turn, I, I am confident in my product that I can serve that to you as rare as possible because I know it came to a good source. And that's where the other... Uh, part of that conversation is um, where did you get your fish? Where did you source it? Is it, can you trust them? Was it from a farm? And I hate saying the word farm, but with farmers, they, we know what they put in it, what they feed the fish, um, how the processes are are done, how they get rid of uh, waste and that you can track. So just in case that somebody does get, you know, poisoned or whatever the hell it is from that fucking fish, you can go to the farmers like, hey, uh, something you guys fucked up and uh, somebody got sick. Check your processes. And that's where that's where the cool thing is about the farm um, where you're getting farm-raised stuff. Where you, but if you, Yeah, when you farm-raise something, especially like tuna or a specific type of fish, that is actually mm-hmm. one of the hardest things to farm-raise because oh, yeah. the water gets contaminated. The whole damn batch is contaminated. I know. It's like when you make cookies and you accidentally put something that's not supposed to be in there, it hits every single cookie. You're literally yeah. you're screwed. You gotta kind of th- throw it over and restart. This is why the FDA actually one of their top regulated things is farm raised fish. Mm-hmm. The concept of there's so much water pollution going on. They gotta make sure that someone's not getting oil or something that leaks into a fish. This is actually mm-hmm. a problem nowadays. It actually sparked a trend now. People are more worried about GMOs. Um, yeah. I tell people, even if you're buying organic and you're paying that extra like $10 for an apple or something, you're still getting GMOs. Absolutely. It doesn't matter if it has an organic sticker on it. Absolutely. And um, I'm going to get you a little knowledge. Did you know that the word organic has levels to it? What do you mean? Okay. So if you, in the stores, there is organic meaning uh, just about 60% of that item is organic. And then there is the, um, there is the uh, certified organic, like farm raised or whatever organic, that's, uh, that's just about 80% um, uh, of the item that is truly organic. And then there's the USDA seal organic, and that is, probably the highest quality you can get just about at 95 or 96 percent um organic it's like that germex that kills 99.9 percent yeah yeah yeah. so the usda not they really use it but the fda or whoever's writing the food labels they're not necessarily lying to you but they're like lawyers and that's what we kind of need to tell people and they need to be aware of they don't tell you 100 percent on the label 
what's exactly on the label. They're just, they just need to tell you enough information that covers their bases, and that is it. Yeah, well, that, a lot that, of people don't even pay attention to nutrition labels. Like me being a yeah. fitness freak, my worst thing, I tell people, stop looking at nutrition labels because once you start doing that, you can't stop. Every time I grab oh, yeah. an item that I don't know about, I'm immediately looking at the nutrition labels. I more look at the calorie content rather than the ingredients used in it. But mm -hmm. it's like it, it, it fucks with your mind in a way to where you can't really enjoy food anymore. You're kind of just – like, it messes with you so bad. Yeah, everything I look at now, I know the protein content. That's all I care about, the protein content, mm. the protein content. I'm like, to be honest, it's like it's better sometimes just to have a nice like cheeseburger, have a nice, you know, pizza. These are foods I haven't really had in a while. It actually made it difficult trying to eat clean and live like a a fitness freak lifestyle for so long. I've done it for 7 years. I stopped eating out at restaurants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I um, you can't explain it to people because you're like, well, I rather, I rather just go home, eat a one dollar can of tuna with a salad, and spice it up. Like I've extensively went through my spice cabinet. <laughs> it's funny you mention that because my so my wife and I, besides this trip that we just took uh, for two weeks, we've ate like assholes, man, and it it was great to experience different cultures, to experience different states and their uh and their and their givings and the best at what they do uh we've had some of the best foods uh traveling but um normally here uh, at our home we do an 80 20 rule and i and i covered this on my podcast too uh 80 plant-based 20 percent everything else because one being just pure clean on what you eat you will go bananas you, your brain will go insane because you're like oh I need to eat this, this, this. I can't have that, blah, blah. You're more likely to not follow suit if you don't have like an off day. And that's really important. And I know you, you do it too. You have at least a cheat day. I know. Um, actually, I, I haven't. I just started okay. incorporating that after seven years working out every single day. Mm -hmm. Something. This is what leads to binges and purges and all these things where you get freak out about it. Because mm. when you do have something, like my mom's not a clean eater. So a lot of my family members aren't a clean eater. So they eat like fried chicken. They mm. eat the, You know how hard it is to walk by a fucking pizza when you haven't had it? Oh, in yeah. Years? You're like, give me that fucking thing. And you just end up folding the whole damn thing into a taco and then mm. shove it down your face. <laughs> Exactly. So the 20% gives us a little bit of leeway to still be able to eat um, some of the things that we used to love. Uh, that way you're not constantly just, you know, you're not just so angst that you need to always be up to, you know, the standard. Um, and I, it works for our lifestyle. And, you know, we, we miss it sometimes, all the time, uh, when we used to eat like crap and but now not a pound from it and not getting a pound of pound yeah exactly when you go into eating clean now it seems like you'll put on a thousand pounds after you eat just yeah. like a scoop of ben and jerry's you know yeah. i used to kill ben and jerry's that food fish thing they had that with the chocolate fish the fudge fish, oh yeah chocolate ice cream with marshmallow caramel and all this stuff i used to kill a whole pint of that in one sitting when i was a kid i used to kill a bag of doritos in one sitting when i was a kid not oh, getting wow. a pound I can't, if I try to do that now, that it would, it would mess with my body so bad. I've been eating clean for so long that when I do have like, now my body has given up on red meats. It will not, mm -hmm. I consume red meat. It does not work. I've been so strictly chicken breast and fish. 
Mm-hmm. If I have a burger or a bit of a steak, I will not go to the bathroom for five or six days. My yeah. body just like shuts down, does not know how to process it. And I feel like shit that whole time. And mm-hmm. one of my bodybuilding um, managers at my gym told me, he goes, you know, it's like you literally just put diesel in your Corvette. Like your body is your Corvette, okay? It's it's mm-hmm. it's used to a supreme amount of fuel. You just threw some regular bullshit into it and expect it to run right. And I'm like, that's true, man. That's a good way of explaining it because I always thought that was just something wrong with me. But no, your body adapts to the types of food you eat. You know, you shed new cells every seven years. You're a completely mm. different person. So, you know, when you're living a like a clean lifestyle, you know, your body every month is like its organs and all these things are naturally kind of changing over cells, cells die, new ones take its place. And after a while, like you're feeding your body nothing but some of the top class nutrition when it comes to just healthy eating. When you have a cheeseburger from McDonald's, you feel like shit afterwards. Like you're like, you don't know what to do with yourself. Oh, bro. This is so... I think my brother and I, I think we, uh, I, I want to say this was like four years ago, maybe five years ago now. Uh, we just got back from the gym and he was hungry. So I was like, you know what, fuck it, let's go. Let's let's go eat some. And I, mind you, it's like maybe eight o'clock in the morning. There's not that many um, stores open at eight o'clock in the morning. And he just happened because my brother eats, my brother's young. He eats pretty fucking whatever the hell it is. And like a normal he, person. You, like a normal person, right? And he, he was like, yo, let's go to McDonald's. I'm like, yeah, uh, I don't know, man. Like, I, I haven't eaten it. I don't know if it's... It. But he wanted to. Like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's go. So he ordered... What is it? That breakfast sandwich that, the hell, that they have? The, the McMuffin, uh, bro? The McMuffin, right? Whatever the hell that is. Those things so, are banging. I don't care. I smell those. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, can you just they are banging. one for me? And some yeah. streets like, what? I'm like, I will give you money right now to go to McDonald's and just eat a McMuffin and let me watch you eat it. And he's like, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's weird. So he, he orders two of them. I order one. And I'm like, uh, I'm really... So this was four years ago, right? He eats it. He kills it. it. Smells amazing. It's in my face. I'm like, oh, wow, it does smell good. It looks a little different because I haven't been to it in so long. I then eat it. It tastes okay. But in about 20 minutes, yo, my stomach was like, what the hell did you just eat? Like, what the fuck? Why? We, we, <laughs> we, I, thought we were, I thought we were friends. So, yeah, I, I, cannot, I cannot do fast food it at was, all. It's, it's, just, it's crazy because it feels like someone's taking a knife and twisting out your insides. And you're like, yeah, I used to so eat bad. this on a daily basis. But it just shows you what happens when you hop off something like that. And I, I like – I chalk it up to Bill Burr's bit when he says, you know, you go to McDonald's to get your kid to shut up. Only aspect of (laughs) so much processes and sugars and all these things where they're literally doping you up. This is what I say. I feel like fast food is kind of doping you in a way, kind of keeping you mindless Mm. and bland. Our bodies, like as adults, are used to that horse shit. So we're able to eat a burger and kind of still be able to function. But we're more like kind of like feel sluggish afterwards. But a kid... With their body going through so many things, looking for so much different information, when they get a burger or they get a Happy Meal, they immediately conk out after they eat it. Yeah. Because they're getting so rushed with so much chemicals and shit that it's like, I can't handle this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's going to be interesting when we, um, when my wife and I finally get kids because that kid is going to eat amazing. Amazing. And our food is going to be quite well. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure that my foot's down when we are eating out and just at the home stuff 
that it's going to be 100% as good as I can make it. Yeah. You know, we're still on a table. We're eating. We're having a good time. No phones. So I'm going to take it upon myself to to take it the way I like I was raised and have a conversation. I have a conversation with food, make sure my kid knows where it's coming from, how it's made, et cetera, the whole thing. Because I think people take that for granted because they, uh, we are kids. Uh, you actually retain a lot of information when you're younger. So you're, hopefully- you're, you're practically a sponge. You soak up everything. This is the reason why yeah. when it, the easiest time to teach a kid is when they're little, you can teach them a whole new language and they'll learn it. Like, yeah. I mean, like it's nothing. You just get so influenced in a way. And it's crazy because a lot of people, like for me, my influence when I even decided to learn how to try and cook a little bit, or at least I don't, I don't, I've never honestly used the oven. I was always mm. steered away from it, mostly on the concept of I saw too many movies and I had an older brother that would kind of mess around like when I got near it. And especially when you open it up and you feel that wave of heat hit your face when you're a little kid, you know? Yeah. I had to learn the hard way that when you touch a light bulb, you're going to get yourself burned. You know, someone told me, I was like, okay. And then when they walked out of the room, I touched the light bulb and burned my finger. You know, yeah. I learned. And, you know, when my grandma was teaching me things, she's like, let me teach you how to make pancakes. Let me teach you how to make eggs. Let me teach you how to make scrapple. Let me teach you how to make all these things. And I'm sitting there just watching her cook. She'd get a bunch of fruit in front of me and she goes, all right, start chopping. I'm like, what? She's like, let me show you, <laughs> show you how to cut a pineapple. You show me, you cut the top off, you cut the bottom off, you cut it side to side, you do all these things, you slice it out, take out the core. And I'm like, wow. And she chopped it up into this giant like salad bowl filled with fruit. Mm. And I'm like, this is amazing. Like I'm, yeah. I'm watching this because I'm just used to, you know, the one of the best snacks still today, in my opinion, you take a slice of bread, a piece of cheese on top of it, a little bit of pepperoni and toss that bitch in the microwave for 20 seconds. Dude, <laughs> melted cheese and pepperoni is the way to go. No, no, I know. And she was like, won't you want to actually expand your taste buds a little bit? And I'm like, no, I'm just so used to eating the same bland stuff. But after eating salads for so long, I learned so much about my spice cabinet. I learned a lot more about cooking where I thought it was just, you know, I, I look at food as a process. Like it's like a five minute thing that needs to be done and over with. It's just enough to keep me sustained. But yeah. it boggled my mind how she would sit there and cook for hours. I mean, she would just go into it, you know? Yeah. It's, 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 I understand it because it is a sense of relaxation, whether it's baking, whether it's just normal cooking, whether it's, you know, frying. Uh, it's really cool because you're making something and when it gets done, people get to enjoy it, especially if you mm -hmm. took time out and crafted your way through it. Yeah. Well, she gets the joy out of it, you know, like you would on your end too, on whatever the hell you're doing, you get the joy out of it. It's the same exact thing. But to her, she just prefers to cook. Yeah. And she gets her fix out of that way. And it's one of the most amazing things um, that you can experience. At least that's, that's why I got into it. I, I love the, the whole cooking aspect. I love feeding other people. I love seeing the joy on their faces when they're eating the food that I've made for them to, to taste. And um, I love the experience of it. Uh, and then we get to talk after, you know, just kind of just banter. And that's, that's one of the most, I think for me, the, the best high I can get 
um and that's so why I, someone's I that. face literally yeah after eating something like we it's, we all see it when we look at a little kid that's at a restaurant mm. that hasn't really learned how to talk yet but you feed them something and their face just like looks up like someone just slapped them and they're like super excited like don't know how to stop shaking their head like whoa this is awesome and mm. I, you know i saw my little cousin doing that i remember the first time i went to a pizza restaurant um I, where I used like where I used to live was right across from like a uh, Har- not a Harris Teeter a Walgreens mm. like those two teas for a dollar so I'd just go there walk across the street grab one of those grab an Arizona green tea or something and I'd walk over to this pizza joint that was right by my house I would walk in and I remember I heard something called calamari I'm like what the fuck is calamari <laughs> and it starts giving you like a brief description squid all this stuff I'm like well I love everything that comes out of the sea so I might as well try it and i get yeah. this thing and i'm like what the fuck is this like this is, the, this is what i ordered i need like eight plates of these this isn't gonna yeah. me up and i started eating it it was really good you wouldn't think yeah quit if nobody told you yeah a lot of people that's why i said it's it's all about experiences um in a restaurant and that's what we at least that's what we try to convey to other people if you have if you never had that kind of food or um, never had that kind of ingredient. Um, it's our job to make sure you have a good time and that you understand what you're eating. And then hopefully on the next time, you can suggest it to one of your friends so they can have it also and have the same experience. You know, it's crazy because I want to ask you this. So you deal in all realms of the world of cooking. So what have you found to be your favorite? Like, do you have a particular meal you like to serve? Do you have a particular oh, yeah. style that you like Ramen. to do? You like serving ramen noodles? Ramen, ramen is my shit, yo. Now, actual can, ramen, not the shit. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, actual ramen. Like, so my heritage, I'm Filipino. Um, I think I want to say like half, half Spaniard, uh, Japanese, Chinese, and native Filipino. Um, and one of my favorite meals, still to this day, is actual ramen. Like the Japanese ramen, uh, is my is is my jam. I cannot get enough out of it. Eventually, if it's my restaurant and that's what I'm striving to work towards, uh, it will be a ramen joint um, with some, you know, fixings out of my out of my brain. And I, I cannot get enough of ramen and proper ramen. Like just there's this one restaurant here, uh, not really a restaurant, more of a, a supermarket. Uh, so if you're ever in New Jersey, uh, there is this Asian supermarket in Edgewater, New Jersey uh, called Mitsua. It's huge. It's like a big ass fucking supermarket. Um, it's like a Walgreens kind of. Let's let's put it that way. But just supersize it a little bit. And at the back, uh, there are stalls, meaning like little restaurants or little little eating spots that you can right. On one corner, um, and you can't miss it. They still have flags, the Japanese flags there, uh, with Japanese markings. They don't necessarily speak English, um, but they have numbers to uh, their meals and stuff, so you can kind of see it. And the number 32 spicy tonkotsu ramen, tonkotsu is just pork, and um, changed, changed my life. That was, oh my God, to this day, I want my ramen to taste like that. It's so, it is so good, so good. Yeah, for um, me, it's, it's hard to look when I hear ramen. Like, I've experienced what real ramen is, and then I've experienced the stuff that more people think of when they think of ramen, the ones that you mm, get packet that's flavored yeah. chicken. And you spread it on there, and it seems like only half of it tastes like actual, you know, 
tastes like actually yeah. it's supposed to be chicken flavoring. But I, I find it crazy because I had a buddy that was on my podcast. He's a sushi chef and he's Vietnamese. And I uh-huh. asked him, I was like, what do you think about the fact that they just hire um, a certain race or a certain ethnicity based on authenticity, even though you might not uh-huh. have any more experience than a guy that is white or something of a different ethnicity that might be studying that field for 30 something years. I uh-huh. came across this thought because I, I, I researched into, there was this article I read on Facebook about a guy um, that was a sushi chef and he was white. And I was like, hmm. are you white and you're, you're a sushi chef, man. Like, that doesn't <laughs> make sense. And he talked about owning actually one of the most authentic like sushi restaurants in the business. He mm-hmm. grew up in Japan. He First of all, he talks about the process of becoming a sushi chef. He wasn't just hired mm. off the street. He had to work his way up. He actually went to uh, Taiwan, went to Japan, went to all these different places and became diverse in the culture where he ended up living mm. for 40 something years before he owned his own business here. And yeah. he talks about, there's about three years where you're doing nothing but preparing fish. You're not even going oh, yeah. to make the sushi. Then there's mm-hmm. like a five-year process of learning how to learn the shoju type um, shinjitsu style with the spinning of the blades and that type mm-hmm. of thing to properly prepare sushi. And he yeah. talked about like a 10-year process of just learning how to prepare the fish before you even get to start to make the sushi. I was oh, like, yeah. holy shit. Like that's yeah. a long drawn process. But then you talk, like he talks about it now. He goes, you know how many people come to my restaurant? Not a whole lot. You know why? Because when they think authenticity, they look at the person who's at the counter. They see a white yeah. guy. They immediately think this isn't going to be authentic. And he goes, yeah. let me tell you something. More Chinese restaurants that you think are going to be authentic just because they have a Chinese person working there does not mean they're authentic at all. Actually, it's probably so modernized. If you see a takeout menu on the front door, that's a modernized, Americanized uh, restaurant. When you see uh, soy sauce on the table, that is an Americanized restaurant, you know, mm. but immediately people think they are based on your looks that like, you know, he, my buddy was hired cause he was Vietnamese, even though he had mm. nothing about it. And I was telling him, I was like, do you find it weird that whenever we say, let's get authentic Mexican food, we have to go find a Mexican restaurant that's run by a certain ethnicity. And he goes, yeah, that is a little weird why we do that. And I was like, dude, I've been to some places before where it's a Japanese person serving Mexican food. Let me tell you, it tasted like it had a lot more soul in it than what that one authentic Mexican restaurant was. Oh, no, absolutely. And to his point, um, I, I know all too well the process of sushi and just the rice alone is where you're going to spend so much time just to get that correct consistency day in, day out. And that is true for most Asian cultures. Um, It takes a while and they want you to be good at it. And you can't expect to do um, the same method uh, in a week's worth uh, compared to five years when they think you're more competent at it, but still not good at it. And so that's the, just, that's just the mentality though. Um, especially when it comes to, to Japanese, um, and how they, uh, are so work ethic based. Um, I, I can fully relate to that cause I, I feel the same way. Like I, I've been at it for 18 years. I, I feel like I'm not even, I'm not even scratching the surface. I'm just like, ah, I'm okay. Well, it's that's like why a- I hate it's a trade yeah. job, basically, in a way. You're it's a trade job, yeah, yeah. Things every single day. You're never not learning. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I make it to a point to tell my staff to stop calling me chef. I hate it. I hate that word. 
Um, I kind of jeer upon it with my podcast because it is called Chef Salty Pork. But um, the word, just the word chef, to me, I feel that I haven't accomplished it yet because there's so much, there's so much of the facet of cooking. Um, I'm just doing a quarter of it so far. There, there's still the the patissier version, which is the bakery part. Uh, there's the sweets where you're just focusing solely on like creams and, and ice creams and stuff. Uh, there's the baking portion where I don't do too much out of. Um, and then there's just there's just so much that I I, I don't know. Um, so in my brain, how dare you call me chef? Because I'm not even I'm not even a complete person of that nature. Yeah, and it really boggles my mind that people that just start becoming a chef or start becoming like a cook anywhere, mm-hmm. and they immediately think now that they have that title, they wear the apron that they should be called chef. They should be addressed as chef. It's like being a doctor and not actually having a doctorate. You know, mm-hmm. it's like you're walking around with a false title, sir. And yeah. th- when we talk about ramen noodles, man, I actually went to an off like my favorite type of cuisine is Asian cuisine. I love hey. I love everything from that whole realm when it comes to sushi. It's not even original. Everyone thinks Japan. No, it originated in Taiwan. Mm. And I learned the history behind it. I learned like what it means. Like I'm I used to go to one of my favorite restaurants in Salisbury. It is a buffet style place. Okay. For me, I can tear up 50 California rolls like it's nothing. Like <laughs> Whenever I go to a Chinese buffet or one of these Panda Express places, I immediately go towards the sushi rolls. And it's funny because there'll be a guy like watching it because he prepares it in front of you and just places it out. He'll grab you like four of them and throw them on the plate. I'm like, I just sit there with the plate out and he gives me four more. And I just sit there with the plate out four more. And he looks at me like, dude, you're not going to eat 16 of them. I'm like, stack it up, bro. (laughs) So when I sit down, I don't feel like getting back up five minutes later. And I can murder those things. I mean, quick. I mean, it's so freaking good too from coming from like, I remember one time I accidentally got tofu and I didn't know what tofu was. And I Uh ate it. I was like, whoa, this is a different taste. This is something and strange and people wonder why like why do you eat chinese food and knowing you're going to be hungry a couple hours later if you really pay attention to that it's the sodium the amount of sodium Mm. they have inside the food it fills you up sodium fills you up and i I, like i love asian cuisine when it comes to i mean a nice dumpling when it Mm. comes to a nice like you know i'm a big fish guy i'm a big seafood guy and that's all really that's on the menu for like a chinese restaurant is stuff Mm. that's in the realms of fish and rice and I, like I remember, like we talked about um, going to a different place and learning kind of what food they have there, and not buying like fast food or something. When yeah. I went to Hawaii, my whole like all my cousins are from Hawaii, so I went over there, and they have a thing called spamasubi. Have you ever heard of? Yeah, it? man, that's what's up, yo. They sold that in the fucking gas station or the oh, yeah. store on the side of the street. I was buying fifty of those fucking things, and then when I came back to the when I came back to where I live, there you couldn't get it anywhere. And I felt nope. like I, I had to go and actually buy the ingredients to make it myself. If for people that don't know, it's a slice of spam on top of rice wrapped in seaweed. It's so good. Yo, talk about that, my brother. I like I fucking so on my podcast. I my the last question that I usually ask because uh, I do the, a little bit on every Thursday, um, and I just interview other podcasters, just just trying to see what they eat, how they eat, and you know how or what they think of food. 
uh, in general. And the last question I will always ask is, have you ever eaten spam? And I kid you not, out of the 80 people that I've interviewed, only five said they've eaten spam. So it's, it's, it's such a big thing. Yo. It's weird. I don't like regular spam out of the can, but I love it when it's attached onto rice and seaweed where it doesn't oh, feel yeah. like you're really eating the actual spam. It feels like it changes the whole flavor profile. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I used to love eating Taco Bell. Me and my dad, like when I was like 13, 12, would just go to Taco Bell, get a Taco 12 pack and split it. Now, I learned about a spice that makes it taste exactly like Taco Bell's taco meat, cumin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dude, you put cumin on a salad, you're, it feels like you're eating Taco Bell. It totally kills that craving. Like yeah. for me, I don't eat bread. I don't eat those types of things. I just see it as like blank nutrition. So for me, what I do is I make raw tacos. Have you ever heard mm-hmm. of what a raw taco is? Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You take a nice cabbage leaf and you fill it up with meat on the inside and roll it up like a taco and eat it. That crunch you get from a nice cabbage leaf kills your craving for bread. Oh, yeah. We do um, what we call that um, when we have tacos and you put, they were like, we don't want the, the taco. Can you sub lettuce to it or something like that? Um, that's just a veg, like a veggie preparation of it. And we actually prefer that in our restaurant because like, Tacos are cool, but why why go to that route when there's this beautiful lettuce right here? Or we we typically use it um, romaine lettuce gives you a, a nicer crunch. Um, it gives you a such a more satisfying uh, experience than the taco shell, and um, yeah, I, I'm fully with it. So. If you know, we talked about sushi being, or not sushi, but ramen being your favorite. What is your least favorite food where you're like, this is just the most disgusting thing I've ever had? Okra. Okra? <laughs> okay. Because there's a story to it, right? And um, I can eat okra um, done in a proper way. So when we were in Louisiana, uh, we had gumbo. And, you know, to, to make it uh, a little thick or give it a little of that... Um, the viscous, that the consistency, they use okra. They don't use flour or uh, cornstarch to make uh, any roux uh, thicker. Um, there's a, uh, a natural um, ingredient, and that's okra. Uh, the reason why I hate it, uh, when I was younger, still in the Philippines, my grandmother, and here's a story that I tell. Uh, my grandmother, I think it was, I don't know, it was like during, after I came back from school, had a, she would usually cook, like a little bowl of something or somebody to tie us over uh, before dinner. And, you know, she's like, Hey, come inside. I have uh, I have some new things. I'm like, Oh, cool. Let's, uh, let's go inside. Let's, uh, let's eat it. And lo and behold, right there in front of us, um, a little bowl soup of okra. And to her brain, she had a, she just, you know, she went to the market. She found this, uh, just great ingredient. I don't think she's ever cooked with it. I think this is the first time that uh, we're having it. Um, she made that by itself. And then I looked at it. I'm like, you know what? It, it's my grandma. She knows how to cook, whatever. I'll eat it. The first bite, y'all, yeah, I swear to God, it tasted like boogers. Cause it was, how do you know what uh, boogers taste like? Because you know, you have it in your because nose and when you, chef, that's why yeah. you're a chef. That's why we, we learned just, everything. Oh my God. It's uh, the consistency is the same thing as if it were loogie. You know what I mean? When you huck it and you spit it, it's the, oh my god! It's like eating yeah. clam meat. It's like eating those things inside uh, of like oysters and stuff. Yeah, oysters, clams. 
that exact consistency is what okra is. And like that, that's you, what a bowl of soup that she gave me. If you sat there with an oyster, like the inside meat inside your mouth with that juice and everything, and you just let it sit in there, it starts to feel like you literally have a loogie in your throat. You're like, oh, that's, that's what it is. It's disgusting. Right. And one so, food for me that I cannot deal with, and I can't, it's not really a food. It's more of a spice. So mm. I had a, I had a point, um, like, you know, when you're a kid, you're, you're figuring out what alcohol is. Like, I'm 21, but I still haven't bought a legal drink of alcohol. It's just I don't need it. I don't really want it. I don't have a problem with it. But when it comes to – I had an ex- bad experience. You know, you have those bad experiences that kind of make you stay away from it for the rest of your life. When I was working out, I was around my second year in. Um, I drank a whole giant-ass bottle of Fireball. Ugh. And I didn't – like, I have a high tolerancy – for alcohol, like I can drink like three bottles of Jaeger and I'll be fine. Um, mm. I, I say that and people go, yeah, right. My brother didn't even believe me. And on my birthday, I killed two bottles in front of him. And he was like, uh. how are you not drunk right now? And I'm like, but beer, I just, I can't drink beer. Like if I drink three or four beers, I get like, it's crazy the way it goes into my body. And mm. I was watching Netflix and I was just doing like, I was slowly sipping this bottle of Jaeger, or uh, not bottle of Jaeger, bottle of Fireball the whole time. I ended up like, passing out like knocking myself out while taking a piss um we had a shelf uh you ever seen you ever seen the movie scary movie where he's playing yahtzee and he goes yeah yeah yeah. and he jumps up and hits his head on the thing and knocks himself out so that's what happened Uh i was actually going to the bathroom and i was backing up slowly and i didn't know and i knocked myself out and i went to the gym the next morning feeling like shit i decided to hop on the treadmill so i burned I have no clue. I ran for like an hour and a half. I sweated the whole time, nothing but cinnamon. And whenever <laughs> I smell cinnamon, I get immediately sick to my stomach. I used to eat French toast for breakfast. Oh, uh, not breakfast, God. but for dinner. Like that uh-huh. was that, like those breakfast meals for dinner were fucking amazing. Mm. Like you get it nice. Like I still don't understand it. My dad puts, um, he's from Baltimore. So he puts ketchup on his eggs. I think you're a, sure. you're a savage if you do that. It sounds it sounds like a good meal to me. <laughs> like with cinnamon, whenever I smell it, you know, I accidentally got mixed up with um cinnamon and cumin at one point. I thought I was mm. getting a lot of cumin on my salad, so I light up. Oh my god! A cumin, and then I bite into it, and it's cinnamon, and immediately my stomach like felt like someone just grabbed it and squeezed it, and was like, uh uh-uh, uh uh uh. And I immediately just got sick to my stomach. And I'm like, this is when we have experiences with food. Like, this is why people get addicted to something like this. Because there's something that goes chemically in your brain when you receive food. It's like receiving a hug. It's a way to kind of get off a little bit of what seems like your hard day. Like, a lot of times when people are bored or lazy, what's the one thing you do? You decide to Mm. eat, you know? And, you know, you can get addicted to anything. Everything's good in moderation. And it goes to the concept of like interpretations are everything. Like, especially when you're, you're, you're having experience for the first time, especially something you you've never even decided to have a taste for. If a chef, if a person that's cooking or preparing your food decides just to half ass it, you might ruin that whole experience for somebody. Definitely. So that's what we have to be careful for. And we make sure that you actually understand. And I, I make it, I make it quite a big deal at my restaurant, uh, especially with the servers when they're trying to explain the foods are like, just don't half-ass it. Literally tell them. If they have a question, ask it again. Uh, if they have some kind of inkling into what ingredient that is, if you don't know, go in the back, ask me. 
and I'll let you know. But do not, do not, for the love of God, just brush it off because they're genuinely trying to know. And that's what our job is. We're trying to let them understand what they're eating so they know it. So just in case they want to check it out later or make it themselves, they can. So we shouldn't lie. So just, just say it how it is and then we'll take it from there. What's funny is you think of like, it's going to lead me into my next question for you. You diving into the music industry. Like, you don't, it's, it's the same basis as being a chef. You're creating something that some audience is consuming. You know what mm. I mean? You're literally, when you're playing music on stage, you're a bunch of people, like a bunch of chefs coming together, adding your own spice to a mix. And you're hoping that it blends well and the audience receives it in a good fashion. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a pretty good way of putting that together. Damn. Never thought about that. But yeah. So how did you even decide to get into the music industry? Like when did you decide like you were just one day cooking, like making some pancakes and like, Hey, you know what? Let's start a, let's start a band. Yeah. No, the other passion started when I was uh, younger. Um, I want to say it was definitely senior year of high school. That's when I started the, the whole playing guitar, singing, you know, playing piano. And then it became, it's not really an obsession, but it became something that I wanted to, a little, a little background to me. I love, I love learning, and I think that's my, that's my, that's my high. I, I get a little, I get, I get a buzz from learning. So when I first picked up the instrument, I was like, oh God, this feels so good. Just like in cooking, I was like, oh man, what's the newest ingredient that I can mess with? And so my wheels started turning. I was like, I think I want to sing now, and then I started doing that. I was like, I think I want to play drums now, and it just kept, I just kept at it for so long, and not until. I, want, I think we started 20, 2012 is when we first put the band together. Um, it's been through two two changes, like with staff, not staff, uh, with band members. Um, and now uh, we've been together for four years with the same exact uh, band members and we're going strong. But the sound is pretty much um, like Foo Fighters, ACDC-ish. With a little like Hendrix mixed in, like old school classic rock kind of. Um, that's what we kind of do. But for to to answer your question, I got into it because it felt like I was creating, and just like in cooking, I kept wanting to to do more. So now I just it it feels like I feels like I'm in you know I'm a happy place. It's crazy because a lot of people don't understand like there's something about music that it's not restricted on whoever or whatever you are. It's it's for everyone. The amount of emotions you can feel, whether it's listening to like Allison Chains, Man in the Box, like I'm mm. pretty sure everybody's pump up song is either like, you know, Dream On or something that like you're driving, like playing on some nice ACDC, like Back in Black, like mm. you hear that. Dirt. Like right in the beginning, oh, yeah. oh shit, like it's about to get go down. Mike Tyson mm. come at me. Like you got that whole m- mentality in you. And then there's songs that hit on such an emotional level, like where you're like having like you're you're having an okay day, but you need to spice up your mood. And you just start playing like a nice reggae song or a nice like good rock song. And you're next thing you know, the windows are down. You're just singing like you don't give a shit. Like all your yeah. in the world get escaped. Yeah, and that's that's how I feel uh, with the music, and um, we are actually we're we're doing pretty good uh, with music. We we recently just booked a uh, not really a book, but we are partnered with a uh, a company that helps us book a little better, 
and uh, we're getting quite a bit of uh, shows for it. And then the because the the main goal, at least for the music gig, is to book out the rest of the year. That way, we have a, a set plan and what we're gonna do, and then uh, promote um, new stuff as we're doing um, all these shows. And then eventually, you know, my main goal is Madison Square Garden. Yeah, that's a that's a hard ass one too because of the concept of you're playing in front of so many fucking people. Yeah, but I can't wait. This it's is gonna be so good. This is crazy because a lot of like this is why comedians nowadays and artists nowadays they make you lock your phone up before you go inside of a concert because mm-hmm. technology has made music fucking lazy, man. Oh yeah, dude. Dude, how simple it is. I've talked to people that do like new techno beat trap style music, and I talk to them like how hard is it for them? They go, it's it's when it comes to the new music and what's trending nowadays it's all studio tied to the point like the government or not the government but the like the studio just gives you a beat and they just want you to say one word and then they just use your voice the whole time like it's when you see artists truly become lazy because the song doesn't have any emotion in it it's just something you listen to that's that's you know like yeah this is a good this is a good popular song and you're like but what does it make you feel and you're like i don't know yeah, that's how um, it's. We're just getting desensitized on the amount of stuff because um, you can consume media in such a fast paced, uh, especially music. Because there's there will always be some artist, there will always be some other dude that's hungry or some other gal that's making badass music, but you're not going to hear it. You actually need to search for it because the mainstream is what you what what, what I call crap, and it's just uh it's disgusting. I don't think it's any new true music at all anymore. But um, Eric Clapton uh, had a, a quote, a famous quote, uh, like about 10 years ago. And he was asked the same question uh, in regards to his kids. Because um, he was explaining the same exact things like, oh, all this, you know, all this music nowadays. Uh, when he was growing up, I mean, he grew up with the greats. So for him to compare music styles, it was something to to kind of frown upon, but what he mentioned was uh, something in the likes of, you know, I, I listen to my kids' music and I think it's good. It's not my cup of tea, but I think all music is good. You just need to find your silver lining. And to his point, like, in my opinion, today's pop music or the mainstream shit is shit. I, I don't, that's, I don't, I don't, I don't even listen to radio. Uh, or any of the the, the major stuff that's uh, going on, but I will go ahead and take my time and find the artists that are actually starving um, and find their music because I know, and I know because I, I do the same exact thing uh, with my music. I know that we put our heart and soul to it, and it's going to be ten times better than what mainstream is because I know um, just in the lyrics alone, lyrics just just pure lyrics. Um, there's there's some gratis to them. So I crazy because people always think of like, Oh, that dude's just extremely talented. I'm like, I've seen bands that don't perform that well, but each and every single one of them were on the same frequency, the same level that they made it good. They made Mm. so like their music, the lyrics were not good. None of the the beats were good and nothing was about it. It was obviously just a train wreck, but seeing them perform live, I enjoyed it so much because I get to see these guys that truly did not give a shit and were there because they cared about each other and they wanted this goal and they wanted to obtain this 
thing. They wanted to create something that people would dance their toes to. When you have that environment on stage, like you can tell when someone in a kitchen is arguing with someone or there's a disagreement. There seems to be like a little bit of disconnectivity and kind of like a little bit of hatred in the room. Same thing on stage, okay? You're on stage if you're not vibing with your guitar player, if you're not vibing with your bass player, if you're all thinking like you're holding an aggression that happened like an hour before, you cannot really play right. You, you don't have the connectivity and the wholeness that really brings in the crowd. Absolutely. And that's, that's, where, we, that's where, we, where we try to diverse, right? And just to mention the, the whole band thing, uh, when, we were, when we were playing around, we're, we're pretty much at the same level. Everyone can expect the same out of us. Um, and it's performance-based. But when you see other kind of bands that are not so good, but they're still on the same performance level, yo, it's still a good day no matter what. So, What are one of the things you find fascinating about writing music? Like, do you, do you, I know you make your own songs, but like, have you ever, like, is it the whole process of trying to find the words and sit yourself down? Like, I find some of the interesting stories are the bands that reach a certain level of fame and then they decide, like, no, we're going to go down in the garage like we used to and we're going to sit down there and force ourselves to write a song because we need to get back to our roots again. Like, mm -hmm. stories like that, like, for me, when I was in a band for a brief time, the hardest thing for me was just the writing process, like, trying to mm -hmm. find words. I found that, like, my brother who was singing, he was the one that was able to, you know, think of them quick. For me, it was more like, ah, I'm just sitting there kind of, you, you tell me what to do and I'll do it, whatever. But having, mm -hmm. like, just, like, we're just going to play music, and one dude's just playing the same thing over and over and over again for maybe 10, five minutes, and then everyone else is kind of sitting around, and then people just start hopping in one at a time, and you start mm -hmm. hearing this flow and this work, and you start to see something turn into something, and then when, like, hours are at the end of the day, you walk out of that room, you walk out of that garage, and you're all like, we just created a fucking masterpiece. Yeah, and uh, the same process still applies, uh, at least to no, no matter what band you're in. And for, for a long time, the, the way we compose songs is I'll pretty much write it 80% uh, there. And lyrics and all. Lyrics will be complete and I have a full idea of the, um, the melody and the guitar work and stuff. And then, you know, I'll give it then, I'll then divvy it out to my band members. But now I'm like, hey guys, I think I have an idea. Here it is. So I'll play it on my guitar. I was like, I think I want it to go like this, blah, blah, blah. And then either my drummer or my bass player were hopping. It's like, how about we do this? And then we go back and forth. And then without even telling them, because they get a little shy when I do it, uh, when I hit record. And I'm like, hey, I'm recording. And then they get all like, oh, I don't know, man. So you just kind of need to play the room. And then you need to understand your, your people um, when you're writing or whenever, whatever group of uh, heads you're kind of going about. I don't tell them that I'm recording, but the best ideas happen when they know they're not on the spot, at least for the recording purposes. Because when we say recording, uh, their brain switches to when we're in the studio actually tracking. Uh, you know, it's like a paid, uh, it's a paid hour and it's a different focus that they need to emit. And I think that's where they're kind of going to. Um, yeah, so when I like a comedian, someone you immediately mentioned you're a comedian, people go, Hey, why don't you tell me a joke? Funny guy. It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. throwing me right on the spot. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a different, it's a different mentality when we say 
uh, record or write on a stage. So when we're just by ourselves having a good time or writing and some shit, um, I, if we're, in my opinion, I won't even, I won't tell them. I'll just hit record. I was like, yeah, 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 let's, let's run that again. Like, how about we do this, blah, blah, and let just go. Let, this, let that, that flow um, dissipate, and then we'll go back to it on another day, see if we can uh, reflect on it. And then if we all like it, and that's the part of it, and that's, uh, I think that's what's more important. It's like if everybody gels and everybody digs that sound or that style or that flow, then we go ahead and write it. If not, we just put it for another day. And that's what the, the whole recording process, at least in my brain, uh, works. That way nobody's kind of you know on edge because I, I get it. I totally get it. It's definitely a tense thing. You feel like there's a lot of pressure when it comes to just trying to please everyone in the crowd because everyone's going to be thinking the same, feeling the same, and have different experiences through life too. Mm. And Casey, man, I appreciate you coming out and doing the podcast, man. It, it's been awesome talking to you and shooting the shit. I want to give you here a minute at the end to promote your stuff and find where people can see your awesome content. No, absolutely. I, I Like I said, I think you're one of the coolest dudes uh, interview-wise because I think we're on the same level. Um, I, I do the same exact thing when I talk to other people on Thursdays on my pod. But anyway, you can find all my good stuff. And I'll give Robbie the uh, the links that way you guys can find it. But Chef Salty Pork is the podcast name. Uh, on on Tuesdays, I talk uh, I talk shop with my sous chef at the restaurant. And we just kind of, you know, shoot some crap. And uh, we're both gamers too. So we, we do a lot of techie stuff on Tuesdays. And we just kind of reflect on our week. Um, just talk crap about our employees because it's, <laughs> it's just so fun doing so. Um, and then on Thursdays where I interview other podcasters and I just want to know how people eat. Uh, let me see if I can, you know, get them to eat a little better or maybe they have some questions uh, in regard. Yeah. Expanding your taste buds. You have any questions for the industry? I'm pretty versed at it. I've been at it for 18 years. Uh, I'm pretty sure I can answer quite a quite a bit of questions that you might have but um like i said i'll give um i'll give rob all the all the links because there's some other stuff in there uh we do youtube also um do some videos um and then i'll give you the band link also so you can find my music but other than that hey i i truly appreciate you um and we should do this again um but we'll talk about other stuff <laughs>